What is up, you guys? Welcome back. Today, I have Beth Learn on the podcast. She is the founder of fit to be Studio, which provides workout videos for postpartum women with pelvic floor concerns. And you guys know that I'm a big advocate for pelvic floor physical therapy since I struggled with pelvic floor issues after having my baby a little over a year ago. So I love just talking to Beth everything about pelvic floor because she gives some great analogies about what the pelvic floor is and how to properly contract and relax it um, for both women and men, which I thought was really, really interesting and kind of funny. But I hope you guys enjoy this interview, whether you have already had kids, maybe you're pregnant or maybe you want to become pregnant one day. This is definitely... Um, a topic you need to be educated about. I wish I would have known more about this pre-pregnancy and during my pregnancy so I could have been more preventative about it. But I hope you guys enjoy this interview with Beth and you learn a lot. I'm Miranda Lee and you're listening to the Bread Therapy Mama podcast, a show created for moms who want to feed their families foods that heal them, not hurt them. Food was meant to be our medicine, and the best way to do that is by focusing on the ingredients, not the calories. Here, you'll find everything you need to know about holistic nutrition sprinkled with some motherhood, faith, and non-toxic living along the way. I can't wait to grow with you. Let's dive in. Hello, Beth. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So can you tell our audience who you are and what you do and... Um, I, I read that you have a little farm too. And I think that is so cool, even though it's not even like your main job. I, I think it's so cool to have a hobby farm. So can you tell us all of that? Yeah. So I am the founder of fit to be that provides holistic home workouts for moms that are trying to sort their bodies out after they have their babies. And, um, I live on seven acres in rural Southwest Washington state. So not Washington, DC, but Washington, the state. (laughs) And we use those acres for goats and chickens and blueberries and raspberries and way too many barn cats that do help with the mice and the rats. Like we don't really have a problem because we've got all these happy little barn cats. Um, and I have two children. My daughter just graduated from high school last night. And in the pre-show, we were talking about how, like, when you have teenagers, you're just watching and supporting and coming alongside them and guiding them and holding their hand when they need it, but mostly just major support. And so it's been a wild week. My son is 14 and my daughter is 17. And I started fit to be, which is my business when they were just four and one. So they've grown up with me working from home and watching me tackle chasing some dreams of my own. And, and now I get to watch them do it. It's pretty cool. That is so cool. So what got you into, um, helping moms, you know, just work on their pelvic floor and get back to their, I guess, old selves after birth. What got you into that? Well, I had a baby of my own. (laughs) Um, you know, I've worked in the fitness industry since 1995. I began working at the front desk and cleaning fitness equipment at my local gym when I was just a teenager. And then I took a step aerobics class and I really loved it. And I decided to become a certified fitness instructor when I was 18 
Then I decided, well, that's pretty cool. So I went after my degree in exercise and sports science from Oregon State University and graduated from there in 2001. Then I got a job as a fitness program manager and facility assistant supervisor in a federal building. Like we served like thousands of federal employees in this massive building. And we had this whole fitness center. So I taught classes and did personal training and all kinds of stuff. And then I had a baby and I realized that the, the female bodies are not tiny male bodies (laughs) and the way our bodies change when we have babies is nothing that a male body will ever experience and changing our strategies to love those bodies has to happen. Um, but I didn't find information really. I just started realizing, Hmm, what I was doing before is not working. Hmm. I'm having some weird things. Oh, well, it's just mom, just being a mom. Cause that's what everybody says. It's just normal. It's just normal to pee your pants. It's just normal to have a poochy tummy. That's just being a mom. Just keep doing crunches and sit-ups. Just do those burpees because you'll be strong. And so then it was after my son was born three years after my daughter that I discovered this concept of ab rehab and pelvic floor fitness and decided to really look into that more. And then I began realizing also how isolating motherhood is and how it's hard to get out of the house, especially, you know, let alone after a first child, but definitely after a second child. So I started filming my workouts and shifting myself and specializing as I studied more and more and more about the core and pelvic floor. And here we are 13 years later, we launched in 2010 and we have hundreds of workout videos. Now we have lots of e-courses and I continue to love what I do because it's truly helpful. And it's fun to watch those light bulbs go off as women figure out what actually works. Yeah, that's, that's so awesome. I know we don't know each other that well, but there's a lot of things that you were saying that like, kind of like my story too. Like I'm a personal trainer. I got my degree in applied health science, like in kinesiology. I just had a baby and my, my pelvic floor just went to crap stuff that like, I never, yeah, they don't talk about it in college. No, not at all. And I was, I wasn't a weakling. Like I was a competitive power lift. Right? I did strongman while pregnant. I did an Olympic triathlon wow. pregnant. Like I did multiple marathons, like before getting pregnant and everything. So like, I was like an athlete. I was doing yeah. all the training. And then <clears throat> after having a baby, it was, it was different. Like I was struggling with back pain and mm-hmm. I mean, postpartum depression was, you know, just took any motivation and discipline that I had pre-baby um, away. And I actually just finished like 85 days of strict ab rehab, like Good. focusing on my pelvic floor. And I am two weeks into actually lifting heavy again. And I've had like no back pain Yay. issue. And I'm just like, geez, if I would have done this in the very beginning and didn't let my ego get in the way, I, it wouldn't have taken me almost a year to heal my pelvic floor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it can take a while for, for things to heal anyways, but we, we can, I believe speed that process and nourish those tissues more and make a quicker comeback, so to speak 
if we have some strategies and tools in place, but most women are unaware that those strategies and tools exist and educational institutions are really not doing a great job of teaching those things. You, as, as professionals, we have to chase down that information to be able to even give it to our clients. And I was so angry when I first started learning, like this is basic female anatomy. This is basic, uh, information that the majority of the population needs. Every single woman, if you look at all women around the world, 80% of females will be pregnant at some point in their life. Whether or not they carry that baby to term, they will experience pregnancy at some point in their life. And we make up over half the population, actually. Like there's actually more females than there are males. (laughs) Um, So this is an issue because personal trainers also recognize that women are their biggest demographic. More women get personal training right now than men used to be the other way around, but right now it's, it's moms, it's moms. We're like, Hey, train us, <laughs> get us in shape. And these personal trainer gym bros are like, okay, let's do some crunches. All right. All right. Let's do some squats. We need more than that. Yeah. So let's, let's back up for those who just maybe don't know too much about the topic or maybe like they're pregnant now and they're like, Oh no, what did I get into? (laughs) So let's start with like what the true definition of pelvic floor is, because I think it's one of those things where people think they know what it is. Like I was like, I know what it is. And my husband's like, well, what is it? And I'm like, uh, I don't know how to explain it into words. (laughs) Right. So what is the definition of a pelvic of what your pelvic floor is? I love this question. This is when I wish that we were doing more video, but um, think about an oatmeal canister or a box, but I like the canister better, something round with a top and a bottom. And that would be your entire core. It's a canister. It's not just your front ab muscles. It is your breathing diaphragm up underneath your lungs. That's the top of the canister, the lid. And then it's your, all of your abs. And there's four layers of abs and your deepest one is like a corset that wraps all the way around your body. So that would be the outside of the canister, the round part. And then you've got your pelvic floor, which is the bottom, the literal bottom of the canister. And there are 27 or 28 muscles down there that make up your pelvic floor. And it is the base of your trunk. And it is, um, the trampoline, so to speak, that, that holds up everything inside of you. Because if you think about a pelvis there, those bones, that bony structure in your hips, there's no bones between your tailbone and your pubic bone. There's no bones between your two sitting bones. There's a big open area so that we can evacuate birth, defecate, be intimate. So we, we need that space to be open. So the only thing supporting everything inside of you from bloop falling out is your pelvic floor muscle groups. And there's multiple, multiple muscles in there that are weaving back and forth and holding everything up and in. And it's, it's similar, but yet very different between males and females. Um, you know, females, we have, we have an extra hole in our pelvic floor and that changes pressure systems. It changes strategies, it changes what's going on down there. So we need to understand how those muscles work. We need to have those muscles be strong. 
We need to have those muscles be supple. So they're not just always on, always tight. We need them to be able to relax and enjoy things. And we need them to be able to lift and engage and keep things in. Yeah, I think like when people think pelvic floor, they just think like Kegels. Yeah. And it's first of all, it's, it's way more than that. But also oh, yeah. my I was talking to my mom about this and my mom was a gymnast growing up. Mm. And she said when she like went to a physical therapist for her pelvic floor, that her issue was she was always, you know, engaged and intense where she needed to learn how to be relaxed. And I think a lot of people assume like, oh, I need to do Kegels and strengthen my pelvic floor. And like, that's automatically what I need to do if I'm struggling with, you know, pelvic floor issues or pain. And it goes, it goes further than that. There's not like a one size fits all with, you know, pelvic floor issues, because you got to learn what your actual issue is with your pelvic floor. Yeah. Yeah. You're a hundred percent right. And we know too, that different cues work for different people. One of the videos I filmed is called cue connections, where we spend about 20 minutes testing different cues on our abs and pelvic floor muscles. I can't reach through a screen, right? That would be weird. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but I can throw out cues that have been tested in labs. You know, it's like, wow, I would have liked to meet some of the people that signed up for that study to have all the electrodes put in all the places. And then they were given these cues to figure out which ones work best. And would you like me to share the two that work best? Oh yes. Okay. So, and this again demonstrates there's a difference between males and females. Um, so in females, one of the best cues for engaging, for lifting. We're not just talking squeeze the ketchup bottle. We're talking pick the ketchup bottle up off the table, okay? (laughs) There's like an elevator effect that happens, a lifting and a lowering. So in females, one of the best cues is to think about your vagina like a smoothie straw and to imagine that you are sucking a smoothie up through that straw. And if I say that, And you think about lifting your pelvic floor or squeezing and lifting the space between your sitting bones and pubic bone and tailbone, and you feel anything that's great. Another great one for females is to think about picking up a blueberry with your vagina or a pea, like a little, little green pea that you eat with your urethra that you used to pee. That's easy to remember or a golf ball with your rectum because those muscles are all different sizes and shapes. So visualizing different things can help. Um, and then for men, get ready. This is just so classic. Use it's very direct. Shorten your penis. Like <laughs> that's what works. <laughs> that's um, funny. Um, another great one for guys is nuts to guts. <laughs> and my son is so tired of hearing me say that. He's like, oh gosh, mom, I know how to pick up a sofa. I'm like, okay, but still nuts to guts. So like he knows, like my family has heard it all. Um yeah. I, I love that. I am going to tell my husband that because yeah, don't just engage your pelvic floor nuts to guts. Uh, yeah. I like that. That's so funny. And the reason why that works, get this is because in males, the obliques of the abs actually go down and wrap around the testicles. This is why you think that episode from Seinfeld where George is like, I was in the pool. I was in the pool because everything's significant shrinkage. Because when things get cold, it pulls up and in. And this is also why men get inguinal hernias. Because when the testicles descend, they actually descend 
in fetal development through the abdominal wall and they keep that lining around them. So when you, when they think nuts to guts, they literally have the ability to pull those things upward because of the oblique layer of abs that wraps around the testicles. How cool is that? Wow. That is, that is really cool. Can I think pelvic floor, like I knew that guys like obviously had a pelvic floor, but I never really thought that they even had to worry about it at all. So like, even like they just need to be aware of it. So that's pretty cool. And I like the whole, like the straw analogy, because I was trying it while you were saying it. And I was like, yeah, could you feel it? Yeah. A hundred percent. Right. What I, I, what I've heard and how I think of it, because before I even like learned much about my pelvic floor, like when you think of a Kegel, um, Mm -hmm. I thought I was doing it right. First of all, until I went to pelvic floor PT and realized it's not just your hoo-ha engaging, you know, <laughs> it's your butt, butthole engaging as well. Yeah. Um, and that's something I, I just didn't know because no one taught me. Yeah. Um, and like, I learned it as like, imagine a, like a baseball diamond and like your pelvic floor is like all the players. And when you're engaged, it's like all your players are running to the pitching mound. Oh my gosh. I love that. And then when I've you never relax, heard that one, that's so run good. All, run all to the outfield. That's how I would imagine it whenever I had to like do a Kegel or whatever. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm, I'm going to be leading a male pelvic health workshop at a local yoga studio and I'm calling it nuts and bolts. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm totally going to use that analogy for them. That is so go. good. And that's what, that's just what helped me think about it. Cause yeah, I just never, never thought that whole area was your pelvic yeah. floor. And because these are not things that were taught. So I guess my next question for you is, well, first, the first question is why and how does our pelvic floor um, suffer and why does it suffer with childbirth? Ooh, okay. So, wow. My brain just like, when you ask that, um, again, another question I, I love, but it, I mean, it kind of stinks. So, um, most women these days, um, will have some level of birth trauma. Um, and I, I wish that was not true. Um, there are things you can do to prevent that, but birth goes the way birth goes, right? So it might be a little bit of a tear. It might be an episiotomy. Um, it might be a C-section. It might be an emergency. Um, there's all kinds of situations that can occur for myself. My first birth, I had an episiotomy. My second birth was a third degree tear. A third degree tear is when, um, the vagina tears down and it goes around the anal sphincter. That's what I had. Yeah. A lot of women get those a fourth degree tear. And actually they're more common in female athletes because we have more tension in our pelvic floors and we have a harder time wow. relaxing. So there you go. Um, my, a fourth degree tear, um, basically connects the vagina and the rectum together and makes them one big hole. And either way, those type of tears require a lot of stitches. And, you know, when you're holding your brand new baby and your OBGYN is, or midwife is down there stitching things, it's not like they're down there with a connect the dot diagram. And they do this all the time, but they're still not, able to take all the time in the world to match every single little piece and part right back up where it was before. Um, and there's again, so many muscles and so many layers. So they're just stitching you together. So now you've got layers of muscle that once we're sliding back and forth 
in harmony that are now stitched together. And scar massage is great, but how many of us are told or know, or even feel comfortable reaching down there and doing scar massage, you know, um, we're taking care of a newborn and we're trying to get better and we're trying to get some sleep and none of that is happening. (laughs) If you add a C-section to that, um, you know, whether you went into labor or not, uh, we've, we've shown that C-sections do not diminish the amount of pelvic floor dysfunction that happens after pregnancy. Um, your uterus is like a tube, right? It's, it's a, it's a, it's the end of your vagina. It's the end of your, your birth canal. And so whether the baby comes out one end of that, or they come out through your stomach, there's still suction and pressure and force exerted. And again, it's not like the surgeons are taking time to stitch every single layer of you separately. So all those four layers of your abs, all of those nerve endings that once connected, now they've been sliced and they're just stitching. So your body internally is like, you know, your white blood cells, all of the healing mechanisms in your body are doing their best to put those puzzle pieces back together. But it's kind of like a big jigsaw puzzle was tossed onto the table and then smushed into the middle. (laughs) Like, okay, it's back together. Yay. (laughs) But the puzzle pieces are not back together. And the cool thing is with time and attention and rehab and strategies, and really it doesn't take, it's, that sounds like a lot, but it's really not that much. It's a few minutes a day. Once you've got things in place, those muscles will start to function again separately and do their jobs and the nerves will grow back and they will reconnect, but the scar tissue will also grow. And so birth is beautiful and motherhood is beautiful. And I would never take it back but there should be a black box warning, (laughs) right? It changes us and, um, we won't ever be the same, but imagine the difference in our experience. If we were informed and educated and empowered to come away from birth with tools and strategies in place to help ourselves heal better and faster. Yeah. I think if we were like, given the knowledge and given the tools that we could actually, I don't know, be preventative about this because there are pelvic floor things you can do, you know, that have nothing to do with you being pregnant or, or giving birth, like to be preventative. And then there's also things you can do while pregnant. So what, what do you recommend we could do while pregnant that will help support our our pelvic floor and maybe bring down the chance of dysfunction after birth? Um, I would say the number one thing is, is be active, do the things you love. If you're not exercising, start exercising. Don't, don't go run a marathon, but like start doing things, but also rest and learn how to relax your pelvic floor, (laughs) learn how to open great place to practice. That is on the toilet. Whenever you're going pee or poo, fully relaxing and releasing everything and taking extra time to let all of those tissues go outward, not bulge them, not press them, not force them. And in fact, there's a lot more talk right now in the birth industry about um, not pushing ever when you're told to push, but letting your body really doing that pushing because your body will do the pushing (laughs) when it's time. There's something called a fetal ejection reflex. I experienced it with my son. It was like, no matter what I did, he was going to (laughs) come. 
And that, that's another reason I had the third degree tear. Um, so when we push, when we force, when we are told to push, there's more incidents of tearing mm-hmm. and other things that happen. We even see full avulsions. Avulsion is when the actual is like tendon and fascia tears, not just the, the skin tissue tear, but muscle tears and approximately 50% in births can result in those level of injuries. And, you know, so things like practicing a squat, practicing laying on your side with your knees actually turned in and your feet out, because that will open your outlet. I know it sounds really weird because we think about birth as these squatting knees, open positions, but current body mechanics, thanks to all of the sitting that we do has actually changed that. So we actually birth better. Most women do with knees slightly turned in being hands and knees with your knees turned in toes out. Like those are good birth positions to take pressure off of the pelvic floor and reduce tearing. So practicing, practicing your breathing, practicing, pushing positions, practicing, relaxing everything and ah, oh, ooh, making sure you're not clenching. Because as it is above, so it is below. There's something cool called sphincter law. Your mouth is a sphincter. Your butt is a sphincter, several sphincters. And your vagus nerve is a spinal nerve that connects both of them. So if any of you want to go down a fun rabbit hole, look up polyvagal theory and sphincter law. Because it's very fascinating. Yeah, I remember learning about that. They're like, if if your jaw is tense, you know, then... (laughs) Your pelvic floor is probably very tense too. That's why they really yeah. encourage that, that breathing. I want to take a quick break from today's episode to tell you about my favorite diaper brand, Diaper, D-Y-P-E-R. I'm all about using cloth diapers. I think they're great, but sometimes it is just unrealistic and we do need to use disposable diapers. Whether we're out and about, traveling, or at daycare, I need to make sure that I have a good quality brand diaper that is also good for the environment and for my baby. These eco-friendly diapers are better for your baby and the planet too because they are chemical-free, lotion-free, alcohol-free, latex-free, perfume-free everything, and that's why I love them. And they are also made from bamboo, so they are soft on your baby's skin while still being extra absorbent to handle your baby's biggest accidents. They are also compost-friendly with their re-diaper program, and they contribute a percentage of every product purchase to plastic reduction efforts, making their product plastic neutral. So I've partnered with Diaper to get you guys a free diaper bag with your first purchase through diaper with my link. It's just bit.ly slash free diaper with a Y bag. So bit.ly slash free diaper bag. I'll put the link in the show notes, but yeah, it's a great $69 diaper bag that you get completely for free with your first purchase through diaper. So make sure to go check them out. And I hope you guys love them as much as I do. Let's talk about breathing because I feel like a lot of people breathe wrong and I, I love to ask people, I'm like, all right, take a deep breath in and they'll take a deep breath in and then their stomach goes in. Right. And then you'll, oh, breathe out. And then, you know, they push their stomach out and that's so opposite of how you're supposed to breathe. Like when you're breathing in, you're inhaling, you're supposed to be filling your lungs and your back and just your whole body with air. And for some reason, a lot of people just 
breathe the opposite way and it's just not the most effective way and it really does affect our pelvic floor so can you just like talk about the basics of breathing and then also when to engage the pelvic floor during your breath especially when working out as well yeah so um basic mechanics of breathing and my husband is a mechanic um it's sort of like a piston. Now you might not be a mechanic, so you wouldn't know, but it's, it's something that goes up and down your entire core canister lifts up and goes back down every time you breathe (laughs) muscularly wise. So I mentioned earlier that the top of that core canister is your breathing diaphragm. It's like a big umbrella muscle up underneath your lungs. Well, you also have your pelvic diaphragm, which is another term for that whole basket woven layer of muscles in your bum. And those muscles move together. When you breathe in, they go down. When you breathe out, they go up. And if that feels weird to think about, remember that your lungs are like two sponges. And to wring out a sponge, you have to push on it. So to push air up out of your lungs, out of your mouth, your breathing diaphragm has to push up on your lungs to shove air up and out. So when you breathe out your breathing diaphragm and your pelvic diaphragm are both working up. And then when you pull air in your breathing diaphragm and pelvic diaphragm will go down because they are a suction pressure system. So they're, they're slurping air back down, like a suction cup, pulling them back, pulling air back into your lungs. Your lungs do some work, but your lungs are very supported by the muscles in your ribs and your diaphragm and your pelvic floor. You're, you're like one big plunger. (laughs) You think about a plunger in a toilet. It's It's pushing things back and forth to break up a clog. Terrible analogy. (laughs) Um, but you get, you know, but your diaphragm is that same bell shape and your pelvic diaphragm also goes up and down as well, but things get dysfunctional, things get disconnected. Um, and so we, and we sit a lot, we sit a lot, we slump a lot. And so that hinders how those muscles tend to naturally want to work together because the body is very smart. It will figure out how to make you still breathe, even if a few muscles are off on vacation and, and that's, that's genius. That's a great design. But when we want things to start working better, we want our abs to work better. We want our pelvic floor to get better. We got to go back to the mechanic and be like, okay, how is this supposed to work? So because your breathing diaphragm and your pelvic diaphragm both drop down. Okay. That means that they're going to be pushing on your organs. Your organs are going along for the ride. The organs are between your breathing diaphragm up underneath your lungs and, and they sit above your pelvic diaphragm, everything in your middle, all your guts. Well, all that movement means that your belly is also moving too. And this is a good thing. It means your organs are getting a massage. It's keeping digestion going. When you go to pick up something heavy, you've just added load, whether that's a baby or a pet or screaming toddler or bag of groceries or that barbell at the gym. And if you want to protect, protect your pelvic floor, a couple great, simple, easy things you can do is simply be in good alignment. Okay. Creating lots of space in your spine, keeping your spine lengthened as much as you can when you're picking things up and lengthen doesn't mean that you're standing up tall. Lengthened means that if you imagine your ribs, like half of an Easter eggshell, 
and your pelvis like the other half of an Easter egg shell. You're going to keep those Easter egg shells aimed toward each other and moving together and kind of pulled apart and separated, but still aiming toward each other. As you move, you're going to keep those things long, lean and lifted. You're going to try not to crimp them and bend them. So they don't match up very well. Again, that is a a really great way to think about it. Another thing is we're going to breathe out when we're, whenever we do work, because when you breathe out, that's when you have depressurized your system. So we talked about how, when you breathe in your pelvic floor goes down because it's sucking air down into your body. That's not a great time to load it because, <laughs> you know, because your pelvic floor is down. It's, it's, it's kind of not droopy. It's loaded. But if you hold out your, both of your hands and imagine holding water in your two hands, like you're going to drink water out of your hands, like that's your pelvic bowl. And you take that bowl and flatten it out, make your hands flat and then drop it down and make a cup again. We don't want it in a cup shape at the moment that you're picking something up, right? Cause that, that work, that additional load is going to make it want to be the more cup shape and drop down. And that's not great for things like prolapse and incontinence. We want things lifted. We want air going out. So we're going to breathe out as we pick something up. We're going to breathe out. You yell, you yell at the kids, yell at the dog. Ah! <laughs> um, if you do that and you feel your pelvic floor bulging, now try it again. Try yelling again and see if you can actually make your pelvic floor go the other direction. Cause we can easily fall into this bracing and bearing down. I'm stressed. Ah, and that's not the same. So when we're lifting a weight, when we are saying something loudly, want to think about the pelvic floor going upward. And those are some strategies. And I cue for that in our workouts. sounds like you're doing the same thing with your clients. It's a lot of information. That's why it's really great to find somebody to work with in person if you can. Yeah. Cause it, I was so overwhelmed in the beginning learning about pelvic floor and like, now it's just, it's just second nature. And it's funny cause a lot of like the pelvic floor workouts I had to do in the very beginning, they were so simple Right. It's like not if you do them right. If you do a lot of times people just do them wrong, you know, like if they're in like the bird dog position and a lot of people have that anterior tilt mm-hmm. you know? and it's like, well, yeah, fire hydrants and kickbacks are easy and anterior tilt, you know, you're not even working your glutes. Yeah. And like when you learn to be in neutral and have your head in line with your spine, yes. like the easiest, the easiest workouts end up being really hard when you're actually doing them correctly and you're engaging your core and you're, and you're doing your breath work, right. That was one of the hardest ones for me to learn was like, all right, exhaling is when everything's engaged. And that's when I'm doing work. Like you said, it was a lot of little things, but once you get it, it it just, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that, that that your listeners can do that if anybody who's listening is when you're laying in bed tonight, just put your hands on your tummy. And, and try not to think about it. Just, just lay there and breathe, close your eyes and see if you can connect, <clears throat> excuse me, with the rise and fall of your stomach and try to bring your breath into your belly and into your side ribs and your back ribs. Once you feel it in your belly, look for 360 breathing. So you're breathing around the entire rim of your ribs and you can put your hands on your side ribs. You could put one hand underneath your low back and one hand on your tummy and just see if you can make 
those spaces move. You can do it while you're sitting too. Taking a breath, put your hands on your side ribs and see if you can expand your ribs as you inhale and then feel your ribs get smaller as you exhale. Because that's, that's what your diaphragm, that's the motion that you're feeling is your breathing diaphragm pushing out on your entire rib cage. And if it's not happening, then it may just affirm what you already know. And that is that your abs are riding the struggle bus right now. And you're not alone. It's very common. Again, our culture really promotes a lot of sitting and slouching and that's our abs are not active there. Um, unless, unless you're sitting in very, very good alignment on an exercise ball or really practicing, you know, even if you sit up tall, that will help your abs switch on, but, but everything is ergonomic and ergonomics are muscles off the least amount of work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we know that, you know, core is essential for your pelvic floor, but can you talk about the role that our glutes actually play in our pelvic floor? Everything is connected. Everything is connected. Everything is connected. Um, so your glutes are technically part of your core. And that also was not readily available uh, information that was being taught up until like mm, 10 years ago. And even then I was like, what? It took me a hot minute to really figure out why. But I believe the answer is nerves. Again, that same concept of polyvagal theory. We tend to look at the body as these compartments, your cardiovascular system, your muscular system, your neuromuscular system, your bones. But, but we now know that your bones actually are formed by your fascia, your nerves, your muscles, that your muscles are these pockets of of fascia and tissue that are actually what grows the bones in fetal development. And then they continue to grow the bones based on stimulation. And when you think about it that way, you start to see how everything's super connected. So one strange hack to get to your core is through the calf muscle hamstring glute connection, stretching your calves to lengthen them because most people have chronically tight calves will give you better access to your hamstrings and glutes, which then gives you better access to improved alignment and better core connection. So your glutes are also massive stabilizers for your pelvis. If you think about your abs are in the front of your pelvis, your glutes are in the back, right? (laughs) And they're not like, Hey, over there, hi glutes. Hi, you're on the other side of the Grand Canyon. How's your day going? Hey, can you flex? Okay. All right. Now it's our turn. Okay. Bye. No, there's no Grand Canyon. They are side by side, all these nerve junction boxes. When one of them fires, it quickly talks to the net. I mean, there's, there's not even a pause. They're all working synergistically together synergy. And it's very fascinating. Very, very, very fascinating. So your glutes work better when your abs are working better. If your glutes aren't working, your abs have trouble working. It's all connected. Yeah. All, all connected. And that's why like posture is a huge thing when it comes to pelvic floor work. That's something that I had to keep working on was all these different like posture exercises Mm -hmm. that you would look at and be like, that's so easy, you know, standing against the wall, just bringing your arm up and down, but it's like, it really helps. And the simple exercises, you have to make sure you're doing them really well to, to get the benefits, but they're, they're so helpful. 
Yeah. Yeah. So what are some, um, maybe signs of having pelvic floor dysfunction that people can keep an eye out for? There are a lot of things that go on down yonder. (laughs) Um, and, and people don't realize that there's a connection to the pelvic floor muscles and that by strengthening pelvic floor muscles, we can improve all these other things, things like peeing your pants or pooping your pants. So, um, bladder and bowel incontinence are not normal. They're common, but they're not normal and they're very treatable, like super treatable. Studies show that that women who engage in a pelvic floor exercise program and do three sets of 10 kegels, a proper cable kegel is lifting, squeezing, then lowering and relaxing completely. Three sets of 10 every day for three months, you'll be dry. If you're having incontinence, you do that for three months, you'll be dry. 75% of you, technically it's 75 to 80% of you will be dry. And the others will come along. They just need a little bit more time. Like it's, it's very fascinating. Um, painful intercourse is a symptom of pelvic floor dysfunction. So if you're experiencing pain during intimacy or penetration, um, that's called, uh, oh my gosh, I just forgot. No, vaginismus. Yes, vaginismus. Uh, And there's vulvodynia, which is where there's also pain around the vulva. Um, A lot of those are related to the muscular strength because it's all muscle. It's a lot of muscle down there. Your labia is fatty tissue, but the rest of it's pretty much muscle. Um, So if the muscles are too tight or they're too weak, um, or if there's lots of scar tissue from a birth or from, God forbid, abuse or neglect or other stuff that's gone on in your life, that is treatable. Um, I would say those are probably the big ones, the ones that we see the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. My biggest one was, was back pain, unfortunately. And, and, and the reason for that is that your pelvic floor fires first. It's supposed to fire first. It's supposed to flex first in the whole core activation complex. You know, they, they do all the electrodes again. And they figured out that in functional, healthy cores with no back pain, the pelvic floor is very, very happy to, it flexes, then the transverse abs, then all these other things start flexing. But when the pelvic floor has damage and dysfunction and it doesn't, then there's higher incidence of lower back pain. If we strengthen the lower back, it helps, but strengthening the pelvic floor helps a lot. Yeah, that's definitely what I noticed, like actually knowing how to properly engage my pelvic floor for lifts. Because it's funny, I would like not feel the back pain in the moment. And then it would be the next day, like I couldn't even bend over to tie my shoes. Yeah, Yeah. it was rough. Well, and if you um, go back to the anatomy of how many muscles there are in the pelvis. And yes, the pelvis is very stable. It's a stable structure, but it is still held together by ligaments and tissues. And if some of those ligaments and tissues are damaged, have scar tissue, are very, very weak or too tight, so they're pulling you, they're torquing you out of alignment, it's not going to feel good. It's not going to function very well. But we can strengthen it. Yep. We can realign it. And that's what's cool. Yes, there is hope. There is hope. Yes. 
That is awesome. So how can our listeners um, connect with you and reach out to you and maybe, you know, watch your videos and, and just get some help from you for their pelvic floor? Yeah. So um, you can find me at fit2be.com. Fit2be is all one word, F-I-T, the number two, the letter B, like you're fit to be living your life, but it's a number and a letter. And um, we started as fit2be.us because we were too poor to afford the .com when we started 13 years ago. And so it'll just reroute you. And we offer hundreds of workout videos for women who are dealing with this stuff. And this, I believe this is very also connected to diastasis recti, which is how I pronounce it. Cause I'm from the West and we put a draw on everything. Um, which is, you know, where the abdominal wall has thinned and allowed the two sides of your six pack to widen apart. That's the most layman definition. Cause again, all the things are connected. So if one area is too tight, the other area suffers one area is weak, other areas suffer. Um, so we offer very specialized workouts and programming for that to help you get moving. Cause a lot of people are afraid to move. They're scared. You know, you don't want to exercise. If you're going to pee yourself, that's embarrassing. And pads are expensive. It's a multi-billion dollar industry at this point. It takes up whole entire grocery aisles. There's no other product that takes up entire grocery aisles. They are making money off us. Mm. I'll yeah. stop right there. <laughs> and the pink tax. Don't get me started. Oh on yeah. Right. It's uh, oh, it's so frustrating. So um, we have a lot of free resources on fit to be. Um, we have multiple membership options ranging from five bucks a month to premium levels where you get phone calls with me and all that. You can also find me on social media, Instagram at fit to be studio. And um, I'm on Facebook at fit to be tummy safe fitness. And I could talk about this stuff all day. So thank you for having me on the show. I love educating. I love helping women move and just feel better in their own skin again and understand what's going on. So they can not be scared to move anymore because we just need strategies and then we can go chase our dreams, do all the things. Yes. I love it. Education is, is what we need. We need to make all this stuff normal and common. So we, we have the tools in our toolbox and we can, we can take those steps. So thank you so much for, for coming on and sharing all this. And I'll put all your information in the show notes so people can reach out to you. Thank you so much. It's been great to talk with you, Miranda. Yeah. Thank you so much, Beth. Thank you all for joining me in another episode of the Bread Therapy Mama podcast. If you like this kind of content, check out my blog for recipes, how-tos, product recommendations, and more. Just go to breadtherapymama.com. I'll see you all in the next episode.